With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and of the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show. How's it going, man? It's going well. I I hear you're up in Maine enjoying some nice ciders right now. Oh, I am. Yeah. Shouts to uh, Ricker Hill, drinking a Maniac right now. Nice little coconut cider. It's delicious. It's fantastic. Very nice. Yeah, we are recording this uh, through uh, the Sunday game for the for the Red Sox. They are currently losing three to one as we record. Uh, I believe it's still three to one. Yeah, it is. Um, and and Kashner is performing, you know, Kashner like right now, and everybody's complaining about him online. So we figured, why not hop on and actually do something productive while Kashner gets himself blown up? Yeah. Um, so that's what we're gonna do. So we're going to kick off the show by talking about a pretty big topic that uh, Keaton brought up to me uh, before we started the show, and I think it's one worth talking about so much that I decided to leave with it to lead with it today. And it's the question of whether or not Dave Dombrowski will be back with this team next year. His contract does run through 2020, and right now the Red Sox, the way that they are going, currently have a 2.5% chance to make the playoffs according to Baseball Prospectus and just a 10% chance to make the playoffs according to Fangraphs. So it's more likely than not that this team will be sitting out October. We've kind of known that since after the 14-game stretch, but um, if the team is uh, indeed going to be missing the postseason like we think, there are going to be some changes to the team. We knew that those were coming anyhow. Um, but I think the big question is how big are these changes going to be? How wholesale are they going to be? There's been a lot of reports about the team 
supposedly going to listen to offers on Mookie Betts after the season. Uh, John Morosi talked about that a little bit. So I think it's all speculation at this point. But if the Red Sox were to decide to go into, I don't want to say a rebuild because it wouldn't be a rebuild, but some sort of a soft reset here, you could make the argument that Dave Dombrowski would not be the guy uh, for that job. So I think that you uh, read a Shaughnessy article about this, right? Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about what the article said and then um, give me your thoughts on this whole Dombrowski situation? Yeah, I was skimming it on the Amtrak um, as I was getting a little motion sickness reading on my phone, so I didn't get through uh, most of it. But what I did pull from it and from uh, some tweets from other beat writers and such, the gist of it was that um, there's been – this season in particular has been some tension built up between Dombrowski and the front office, and he's kind of been isolated now to where it's basically him on an island and his only confidant is Larusa. And so with that separation of the front office tension and just kind of him isolating himself, it seems it was Shaughnessy's opinion that Dombrowski will not be back for next season, uh, and also his opinion that he shouldn't be back for next season. So I thought that was an interesting topic curious what your thoughts were i think um it is an interesting time within the red sox organization to be making that decision uh, that change because i think if he's he has one year left on his deal and so i think you're not going to let him go into a lame duck season so you either need to extend him or let him go right those are really the only two options and if you extend him, I think you got to give him run to um, either retool and see how it plays out or kind of give him the, the leash to make some of these decisions on some contracts. But if you're going to let him go, you need to do it soon. You need to get someone in here to make those decisions because we need to make a decision quickly on what we're going to do with Mookie and how, how that offer is going to play itself out, uh, as well as some other contract negotiations going on in the offseason. So I feel like if they're going to part ways, they kind of already have to have an idea of what direction they want to go to get him replaced quickly. Um, direction with a replacement and direction of where they want to go with the team and kind of start executing those moves this offseason and not kind of dilly-dally on it. Um, but there's a lot in flux with both the roster and that GM decision that I'm I wonder if the the easiest thing would be just to extend him and kind of start to play it out more and I think that might be the way that I would lean with it I think I would just rather extend him and then have see how the next couple of years play out with him because I think um I mean we've documented this offseason was quite a disaster and we were a bit frustrated with how this trade deadline played out but by and large, I think we're pretty okay with how things have played out under Dombrowski's tenure. Uh, and I, I don't think that we should overreact to one season. And I, I, I don't really feel strongly about extending him. But I think I would be a little frustrated if they let him go and they didn't know, they didn't already know what direction they wanted to go in. I think that leaving the team in limbo after letting him go would be a bigger mistake than extending him. And I think. I would rather extend him. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. I'm really torn about whether or not to extend him um, because I don't necessarily 
think that it's clear what direction the team is going in right now. Um, the reason why you bring in a guy like Dombrowski to a franchise and the reason why the Red Sox did bring in Dombrowski is because he's really good at taking a collection of assets and turning them into major league ready talent. And that's what he did. He came into arguably one of the top three farm systems in baseball at the time that he came here um, for the 2016 season. And he took assets and he consolidated them into key pieces like Chris Sale and you know Kirk Kimbrell and, and more and more and more of these types of deals that he made. Um, and the result was the 2018 World Series. And it was sort of a nice confluence of the, the talent that had been cultivated under both Epstein and Charrington, plus the additions that Dave Dombrowski made in the trade market uh, that led us to that. But now it seems like the team has pivoted a little bit. Um, the decision not to make any big moves in the offseason to fill the gaps in the bullpen, then the decision again at the trade deadline not to um, add anything significant to help this team contend makes me think that they are more in asset acquisition right now than they are in asset consolidation. Um, and if that is the case, if they are indeed trying to build the farm back up, um, cut some salary while still walking the fine line between doing that and contending, I don't think that Dave Dombrowski is the best guy for this job. Um, one of the things the Red Sox have always been excellent at is uh, developing and scouting people on the international stage. Uh, Eddie Romero uh, has been awesome at that. Um, he's still in the organization. Mike Rickard is still in the organization. Um, you know, those guys are super important for all that, and I think that they should be kept for sure. But I think that if you're trying to uh, explore the market for you know, uh, potential trade partners for Mookie Betts and or extending him and collecting assets, then you might want to look elsewhere. So I don't think it's that crazy. And especially if the reports are true, that there is a little bit of a division between Dombrowski and the rest of the front office and possibly Dombrowski and ownership, as we've kind of seen from John Henry's comments, then it doesn't strike me as the healthiest balance for the organization right now. And I do think it would be best to to part ways. So I think if I had to give my vote right now, based on everything I've seen, I, I think they should send Dave Dombrowski packing. Yeah, I think, I mean, it definitely seems like based off of the messaging coming from the front office, like the times that we've heard Henry speak um, around the London series, around the trade deadline. And I think there was, it was either during spring training or it was just a couple weeks into the season. The messaging between him and Dombrowski was very inconsistent and they did not seem to be on the same page. So it definitely gives off to us out here outside the four walls of Fenway Park the view that they're not on the same page and there may be some headbutting between what direction they're trying to actually go. And I wonder if that is the case, um, does Dombrowski want to stay? If yeah. you know he's not being given the leash that he wants to make the decisions that he feels are right for the club. Uh, and he's being, you know, for lack of a better term, micromanaged by Henry and others. Uh, would he even want to stay or would he just want to let his uh, contract run and then bounce? That's certainly another possibility. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, and it's, it's difficult to say uh, what he would want to do. 
um, in that case. I would assume that he's probably not too keen to sit here and be patient with a rebuild. That doesn't really seem like his his MO, although we call it a rebuild, but it, it's really like a reset considering all the guys that the Red Sox have under control and all the assets that they have. I mean, we fully expect this team to contend next year, right? Like, even if they decided to go completely wild and, like, trade off Mookie Betts and um, Jackie Bradley Jr. this offseason, we still expect them to fill those gaps and contend next year, Yeah, right? I mean, the core of the team, core of the lineup, uh, J.D. Martinez, notwithstanding, is 22 to 26 years old. Like, they should be competing for like the next five years easy with those guys (laughs) unless something you know significant happens injury wise where these guys just forget how to play the game but i mean the window is much more open than it is closed for this team and i mean we talked about on a couple pods ago what kind of money is coming off the books and dead salaries and things like that that's another reason one of the things that they keep talking about is that third threshold and going into next season, they're actually going to be a pretty distant ways away from it. So they may actually for the first time in a couple of years have a little bit of financial flexibility um, to kind of be more creative than they have been in recent years in free agency. And uh, I know they landed JD Martinez, but I don't, I don't think any of us would say that whole process was smooth and uh quick so maybe now with um the way that the finances are shaping up for next year they might be able to be a little bit more responsive to how the free agent market develops um or trade market develops later in the season so um i i feel much more positive about the way the team is shaping up for next year that um it may make sense for for him to to stay but if that's the case I think you would have to extend him, right? Because you're, you're, I don't think you're just going to say, hey, let's just see how this season works out and then we'll figure it out after that because there's no incentive for him to actually put any effort into it. Right. Yeah, I agree. You you either have to get rid of him or extend him. That's the only way to actually uh, go about this situation. But I think you bring up an interesting point with the payroll heading into 2020. It is really interesting right now. JD is looking more and more likely every day that he's probably going to opt in, which would secure his $22 million as part of that. We don't have any idea what's happening with Pedroia and his $13.75 million because um, we'll talk about that later in the show as we update you on his injury situation. And then also Mookie is estimated to make $28 million in arbitration next year. That's a huge chunk of cash. Um, he's totally worth it. But if the rumors are true that they are exploring that, then we don't really know what's going to happen with that money. But if all of those guys stay on the team, if Pedroia decides not to retire, if JD comes back and Mookie Betts comes back, they are actually closer um, to the the threshold than we thought. Um, they have $22 million, uh, to spend until they would get there. Uh, the Sox payrolls guys are estimating $225.57 million for 2020 with all arbitration, medical, all that stuff uh, taken into account. So they're still above the first line, just $2.4 million below the second line and $22 million below the third line. So it's not like they could go crazy in the offseason if all those guys come back. No, but I don't think they would need to if that's the case. I mean, we see what the team is built like now. 
uh, we know where the deficiencies are and they're not expensive deficiencies. You just have to actually put an effort to address them. And they, yeah. that's like what they did this year. They just didn't. So right. uh, I don't think you'd need significant capital to address them. And uh, it's something that they could easily do for next season. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think another interesting thing to look at is sort of the assets that Dave Dombrowski led um, baseball operations have acquired in the draft since uh, he's come on. His first draft was the 2016 draft. Um, and he, you know, he's, he's had four drafts now to collect talent. And I'm not saying that he is the guy that does this, but he certainly has a hand. Um, I, I think that there are very many more people who have a more active role in this, but um, Bobby Dahlbeck and Jay Grom are looking like the two guys, uh, two biggest names that were selected in that 2016 draft. We have no idea what Groom or Grom or however you say his name is, is going to be, uh, whether or not he's going to be a player at this point, it's probably looking doubtful. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck, you know, we know what he is. He's not a future star. In 2017, he's got Tanner Houck. Um, that's really the biggest name from that draft. A lot of other smaller names there. 2018, we're looking at Tristan Casas uh, as the big name selected there. Thaddeus Ward, the fifth rounder, definitely hit. Um, a lot of question marks in that draft as well. Uh, and then the 2019 draft, there's not crazy upside in this most recent draft. Noah Song probably has the biggest upside of this draft class. Cameron Cannon's more of a safe player. Uh, Matthew Lugo has some upside, but he's very young. Bottom line is they haven't added a ton of impact talent in the draft over Dave Dombrowski's time here as well. No, and it's kind of surprising or, well, funny to think that um... – one of the biggest things that they're talking about is rebuilding the farm system, how they need to rebuild the farm system. They haven't really drafted very well to do it. And it's not something that's really going to change overnight. I mean, there are, there's always more prospects, but I guess if you're, if you're really bad at drafting them, then you have to go get them from other people. And the way that teams are prospect hugging, you're going to have to do something stupid like trade Mookie. And, I wouldn't want to trade Mookie just to refill the farm system. I would say get better evaluators. Yeah, and I don't want to say that like they did a bad job either because I'm not really sure that that's the case. They've also had some pretty severe limits on spending uh, in the draft over these past few years. Um, 2016, it's worth noting, um, Mike Hazen was still involved at that point as well. But Mike Rickard has been the director of amateur scouting for all four of these drafts, but also he's had a smaller draft pool to work with. Um, this past year, 2019, was the smallest draft pool that they ever had. They had just a little over $5 million to spend. Um, they had almost $6 million in 2018, almost $6 million in 2017, and $7.2 million in 2016. Um, so it is, it is definitely hard for them to be working with the uh, the restraints that they had been working with. And they also had the international uh, yeah. ban there in 2016, 2017. So really only the past three years have they been able to um, add significant players uh, from the international market. And there was also in 2017, 2018, the loss of Daniel Flores. So that was the guy they gave $3 million to. 
Yeah, I was going to bring up the international thing because uh, you pointed out that that's something that they has been a strength for them, but they got crippled when they weren't allowed to sign anybody for a year. So right. that didn't really help. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely, you know, I don't want to assess blame here. Um, it's definitely been weird. Daniel Flores was the last guy and the only guy um, signed under the Dombrowski period that has been signed for more than $1.6 million. So they haven't made any large international splashes either um, to go along with that. So really when you're looking down at the farm, one of the weaknesses of the system currently is that you, if you're searching for impact talent, really Tristan Casas is the only guy that strikes me as that type of guy. Yeah, I think so. I think... Duran has a chance to be used in a myriad of different ways that could be beneficial. I don't know how impactful that ends up being, but I think like I could see his role being larger than just a utility role, but I, if not an impact role. Yeah. And he might be the, the next one up after Casas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully. It just definitely puts this team in a more precarious position and one that's going to be, I think, the biggest story in the offseason until they either extend Dombrowski or get rid of him. Oh, yeah. As soon as the season ends, that's all anybody's going to be talking about is what's what's going to happen with Dombrowski. And until they either let him go or extend him, uh, then I think that's going to really, really just going to be all everybody talks about because we're not going to know what direction the Red Sox are going to go until they do. Yeah. Or unless Dombrowski starts making moves before we've heard of an official word either way, then I would think then they know they're going to extend them. They're just working on some other junk bond scenes. But I don't think they would let him start making moves without some sort of assurance that he's here to see those moves through. Right. <laughs> so, or at least I would hope so. Yeah, either way, um, if it's his job or if it's someone else's job, it's a very attractive job to, to come into and – you know, I think anybody in the world would want to come into a job where they get to um, have J.D. Martinez and Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts and uh, Rafael Devers and all those guys here. It's a pretty nice core. Let us do the job for a year. We'll podcast about it. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, let's move on to some actual baseball moves here. Red Sox made a few roster moves today. Chris Owings was uh, placed on the 40-man roster. Um, they did that by putting Steve Pierce on the 60-day IL with a partially torn PCL. And Hector Velasquez was also optioned off the roster. The big takeaway from this is the Red Sox now have a four-man bench. Owings immediately let off the game today. What do you think about the choice of bringing up Chris Owings rather than Marco Hernandez? Why do you think they did that? Uh, well, they talked to Cora either about this move specifically or just kind of about the roster in general. And he had noted that since the trade deadline or since the um, the past couple weeks, the bottom of the order has been really inconsistent. And so they wanted to try and just shake that up, give it a new look. So they brought him up. Um, he's actually been doing pretty darn well in uh, Pawtucket, um, hitting 325, uh, 387, I think, OBP, 11 homers. Uh, so if you're just looking to shake things up and just see if something clicks, sure, why not? I don't, have, I don't really have a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, he's only 27, too, and he can play second, short, outfield. I mean, he can play pretty much all around, and um, he's a guy that if, if he works out, he could be a valuable piece for you uh, in the future. 
uh, or at least have some value in the future. So I think it's fine that they wanted to see what they actually have here. I think that's more what it is. Just bring him up, see what he's got. Yep, I agree. Because you know what Marco Hernandez is. And uh, we, we like Marco Hernandez. We like him a lot. We do. All right. Are you um, sad to see Velasquez go? No. Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> no. Um, that's a guy who I am not going to be surprised if he's not back with the team next year. Yeah. He is just – he has been very bad. Uh, another guy on the IL, David Price. Um, he recently received some treatment on his wrist. This tweet is from Jen McCaffrey. He, she says – uh, Price has a cortisone shot that went through the cyst in his wrist uh, and is supposed to take care of the wrist problems. If it returns, he might need minor surgery in the offseason. Um, he says he got a good workout yesterday and is continuing to build up range of motion. So apparently David Price is dealing with some wrist pain. He did have the carpal tunnel a few years ago. Apparently there's a cyst in there. Um, do you think that this uh, is going to be a big deal for David Price? Clearly, he wasn't performing very well after his last five appearances or so. No, and it was kind of interesting to see uh, his comments yesterday or the day before. Recent comments, anyway, about how it started bothering him about four starts ago, which is pretty much when all of this junk started going down. Uh, it was incredibly convenient for the folks that dislike David Price to blame it on baseball gods and karma for going after Eckersley again. I thought that was kind of annoying, even though he was definitely wrong. This I like this a lot better that it's an actual injury and can be treated and he can go back to pitching better because if he was just going to suck until he apologized to Eckersley, then he was going to suck forever because he's never going to apologize. So I'm glad that it's something that can be treated and he can go back to pitching better. So it is definitely not uh definitely explains why he was not doing very well uh he talked a lot about uh, about what specifically it did for his wrist and it limiting his range of motion in his wrist and ability to kind of get on top of the ball as he's releasing uh and it was just stiff which i imagine all of his pitches were flat if he's not getting on top of him getting real rotation all that and then he would get hammered which is exactly what happened um the Potential for needing surgery in the offseason is a bit concerning, and I wonder if um, by the time he's ready to throw again, if they've just thrown in the towel and just say, you know what, who cares, just go get the surgery now. I still think, I mean, it'd be nice to have him back and pitching well because I don't I don't really like the whole Brian Johnson and Drew Kashner at the end of the bullpen thing, but or the end of the rotation, but, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we still have three more years of David Price after this. What a headache. God. Feels like he's already been here for seven. I know. <laughs> Every year with him feels like two years. <laughs> it does. It feels like his contract should be over by now. Uh, I wish he would, like, you know, the, the, the beginning of this year was just so nice when he was just going out there and pitching to, like, a three and a half ERA and just not saying any words. That's... Yeah, I blame this on you, because as soon as you brought up, isn't it great how we're not talking about David Price anymore? It all blew up and went to hell. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take the blame. That's fine. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Um, David Price's spot, as you mentioned, though, is going to be filled with Brian Johnson. Uh, he'll be backed up by some of the longer guys they have in the bullpen, Ryan Weber, Marcus Walden, Nadia Valdi, guys, guys of that ilk. 
Um, this is not a great situation for the Red Sox um, in, in past parts of the year when they've been missing a starter. Um, it has not been great because they don't have a bullpen that can really absorb this. I do feel, however, that they're a little bit better equipped to absorb it now that Nate Evaldi is back in the fold. Yeah, they might need to try and stretch him out and uh, get a little bit more than... I think actually he did go two innings in his last outing. Mm -hmm. They might need to up that and start getting him a little bit more... a little more bullets out of that arm and uh, might be time to shift him over there, especially with... um, Darwinson's last outing was uh, not so great yesterday, but he has been much better than I think we anticipated he would be in the bullpen. And so, uh, you know, sometimes guys get blown up. It happens. As long as it doesn't continue to happen, I feel better about leaving him there and then pushing Evaldi there to be the fifth starter. Yeah, it's worth noting that um, Darwinson is... Darwinson and actually Josh Taylor are guys that you can throw into that group of guys that have gone more than one inning at different times this year. So I think it does give them some added flexibility that pretty much everybody actually in the bullpen, even they've used Workman and Matt Barnes in multi-inning situations, has the capability to go multi-innings. It's not what you want, but they all can and have. Yeah, but I think then you're right back into the issues that you had with the bullpen in the first half, right? Then everybody's being overused, everybody's tired and exhausted, and then you can't finish a game, right? Yeah, it's definitely not ideal. I think you want to have one or two guys pegged for the piggyback role. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. It sure is. Um, All right, another injury to talk about. Dustin Pedroia. Recently underwent a knee procedure that is reportedly not athletically focused, but more of a quality of life procedure. He still intends to come back, and this is Alex Spears' description of the surgery. He underwent a subchondroplasty, basically a cement-like bioinductive substance to strengthen bones and fill hairline fractures, removal of bone spurs, and revision of closure from prior wound from prior surgery. Okay, so basically... Uh, His other surgery was still causing him a ton of pain, and this is a surgery to make him have less pain. Note, this is not a surgery that is claiming to have any benefits as to helping him come back athletically. Just less pain. So they filled his bones with cement? Is what that sounds like? Certainly, some of that is true. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to make of this. I, do, I really don't think that we're ever going to see Pedroia again. No, I don't think so either. And if you have to have a simple surgery just for quality of life, uh, I don't think there's any way that, like, just to be comfortable in your everyday uh, motions and just living and just, like, your day-to-day, whatever it is that you're doing, I don't think there's any way that you can withstand playing in the game for three hours, right? That's got to be way worse than whatever he's doing now. I think so, yeah. I don't I don't think it's really in the cards, but he's crazy man, laser show, Dustin Pedroia, and he will definitely try and come back. I think this thing will, will be drawn out, and you know what? It's, it's fine. Um, Matt and I have talked about this before. There's nobody in the world that has the right to tell Dustin Pedroia when he needs to call it quits except for Dustin Pedroia. So 
Um, take all the time you need, bud. I just, uh, I, I hope that it works out for him. Uh, but if not, I mean, guys had a Hall of Fame career already and should have his number retired with the Red Sox and probably will. And um, he's awesome. So just wish him the best. Just sucks that he's going through this medical odyssey at the end of his career. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not typical that players get to end their careers like Ortiz did. And this is usually how it happens, right? It's usually not pretty. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Unless you're Tom Brady and you just simply play forever and never lose a step. Yep. Or that. Or you could be a Brazilian lizard. (laughs) So some fun news because we've just talked about a lot of injuries and uh, potentially firing Dave Dombrowski. But Alex Spear also reported that Shohei Otani in batting practice hit a ball nearly to the red seat. And this is uh, what he said. Updating on the Otani batting practice blast, Red Sox analysis Greg, I cannot pronounce his name, uh, estimated the projected distance of the blast to be between 502 and 504 feet. He had the Williams projected distance at 527 to 530 feet. Granted, this is a batting practice home run, so this is not one where uh, the velocity uh, on the ball is, you know, as high as it would be in a game situation. My question to you is, do you buy the legend that Ted Williams hit one all the way out to the red seat? And does this make it more believable for you? I choose to believe it. Um, but no, it probably actually would make it less believable, right? Because this is the juiced ball. And someone with a juiced ball and who's as nasty as Otani is still came up 30 feet short. Like, cause you, maybe I feel like Ortiz with a juiced ball might be able to get there. Um, I don't know. I actually, I think this makes it more believable for me. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I think that, um, I'm trying to figure out why I think this, I guess. Um, I guess I think that if it was a game situation and he had a high velocity on it, and connected perfectly with it. And we know that T- Ted Williams had one of the best swings in the history of baseball. He also was using a 33.4 ounce bat, which is pretty hefty. Um, I think that he could do this. Was there any, I don't think there's any data that backs up faster velocity means further distance. Like faster velocity on a pitch means further distance on the hit. Well, no, but. They always talk about harder pitches supplying part of the power, right? When you're going against a power pitcher, you know, you don't swing as hard because they're supplying some of the power. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know how physics works, man. But <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking like the home run derby dudes are throwing like 70 miles an hour, basically batting practice, and they're not hitting them as far. Right. And in the game, they're not coming anywhere close and they're throwing harder. What about the bat weight, though? Like, David Ortiz used the 32.5-ounce bat versus an extra ounce on Ted Williams' bat. Do you feel like the weight of the bat actually matters? Yes, because physics tells us that it does. Right. So if he was using a bigger bat and he had a perfect swing, I don't know. It's Ted Williams. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. I believe that Ted Williams put it in the chair. I choose to believe it as well. 
For what it's worth, Alex Spear believes it now. So with a juice ball, do you think Ted Williams could have put it 600? Oh, my God. Uh, you know, I I choose not to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Some legends are just be- best left uh, how they are. But I just, I really like this story because I liked, I really liked Alex Spears' reaction to it. Um, because I really do believe that he didn't believe the Ted Williams thing. And then this happened. He was like, oh shit, that's real. Yeah, that definitely strikes me as the exact reaction for Spear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was really geeking out about it. And if you go to Alex Spears' Twitter, you can actually see a, a little video of the actual hit is pretty remarkable or, think, the, or at least the spot where it got hit i think casey at the back could have put it in the budweiser deck Ooh, like that nice nice reference by the way all right let's talk about where the red sox stand right now red sox <laughs> uh as we are recording this in the middle of the game they are 15 games back of the division six and a half out of the second wild card spot seven back in the loss column not looking like a playoff team here. Um, we did get a question about this very thing. Um, and I, I referenced this before we get into this question because this kind of tells us where we are. Um, but we got a question from Ben Jacobson that says, what are your predictions for the Red Sox this offseason to reconstruct this roster to a certain extent? Any prospects coming up? Any free agent uh, who comes in? Also tell Keaton that there is no shot that this team makes the playoffs, no matter what weird feeling he has about it. Keaton, how do you respond? What do you mean? The game's already tied here with the Angels. Vasquez just hit a homer. It's 3-3. Things are looking up, man. Okay. So um, those playoff odds are creeping up as we're we're (laughs) recording right now. Um, but let's talk about some some whole, wholesale changes that we could have to this team. Let's first tackle the prospect question. Do you feel that there are any prospects that could be ready for uh, duty as soon as next year? Dahlbach's probably the only one. Uh, Dahlbach and Hauk, but uh, Hauk's role probably is in relief. Yeah, um, I think that that's probably right. Um, let's see, take a look. So, yeah, we have Dahlbeck, Sue Weilin is also playing down at Pawtucket. Um, maybe they give Akami a chance. Maybe. I don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you know, like a, to do with him. Yeah, so what side does he platoon from, though? What's his platoon strength? So he's a left-handed bat. Yeah, that could work, right? He just becomes the new Mitch Moreland. Right. Yes. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so so throw him in the mix. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck, for what it's worth, is a right-handed bat. So maybe they do try to solve first base internally with prospects, whether it's a Josh Ockamy or a Bobby Dahlbeck or a uh, Michael Chavis or you know some combination of, of those guys. Um Sue Lin is a possibility for a utility role, but also Marco Hernandez is as well. So, you know, that brings up an interesting question about Brock Holt, I think, because Brock Holt's contract is up after this year. Um, Holt is making $3.575 million this year, but he's also a huge clubhouse guy. 
he's a free agent next year, but they have a million guys who can play his position. Do you think they decide to bring him back? Man, it would be really weird to see him playing for somebody else. It would. From a baseball perspective, it doesn't make sense to bring him back, in my opinion. But from a human beings, they're actually the ones that play baseball, and therefore they need somebody like Brock Holt in the clubhouse perspective, they should bring him back. Yeah, I think so. I think we proved out that um, between uh, Farrell and Cora, right, what the difference chemistry makes, mm-hmm. and it's about a 15-win difference. <laughs> right. Yeah, I kind of think they'll bring him back too, which probably means that they're going to move on from one of those other utility guys, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, all right, so those are probably the only options there. What about from the pitching side of things? Do you think that there are any pitchers in the minor leagues? We talked about Hauk a little bit, but do you think any of the other guys get an opportunity to pitch out of the bullpen? Maybe even further down at like Portland, like a. Do you think Brian Mata is probably still going to be finishing, working on things next year? Probably not an option, but maybe Durbin Feltman. Yeah, that's the name I was just going to say. I still think that he has a chance to be on a fast track if he figures out his walk issues from mm-hmm. this year. Uh, I actually haven't looked at how he's been doing recently, so I don't know if he's started to figure that out or not. But uh, he would be the probably the only one that I could think of, and okay. unfortunately, none of them are starters. All right, well, we, we know that um, Rick Porcello is not going to be back next nope. year. We know that... Sorry, Jake. Uh, yeah, I know that hurts. Uh, Cashner could be back if he hits his option, which I'm hoping he doesn't. Um, oh, dear God. Mitch Moreland and Steve Pierce will not be back in all likelihood. Do you think that they try to bring back either of those guys? Um, in, Pierce, in... No. Do you think that they'll bring try and bring back Moreland instead of dealing with that group of first base prospects that we talked about? I think they do. Yeah, but I I wonder if someone else gives him more mm. based on his performance. They yeah, might give him a chance to be more of an everyday role than a platoon. I wouldn't anticipate they'd offer him more than a year. No, I wouldn't think so either. I don't think he'll he'll be back. Um, let's move down to. Any other free agents here? Um, There aren't that many free agents on this team. I guess let's talk about the bullpen. Bullpen right now. Evaldi, Workman, Barnes, Darwinson, Walden, Taylor. Those guys are safe. Weber, safe. Rotation, they're going to have to fill some gaps. Um, But Eduardo Rodriguez, Sale, he'll be back. Price will be back. Kashner will probably be back if that option hits. Um, who do you think ends up in that rotation spot, the fifth rotation spot? I really hope it's a free agent. Um, so it would be probably then, it would be Chris Sale, David Price would be the top two. Eddie would be the third. Um, and then Kashner would probably be the fourth right now if he came back and then Johnson would be your fifth starter yeah I think right now that's probably what it would be and they I mean they would have to get somebody in free agency anybody a body yeah I don't really like the idea of Brian Johnson 
or Kashner as your four five. I guess Kashner's fine as a five, but I think ideally you want somebody as like a fourth starter, a viable fourth starter. And real quick, a check in on Kashner. Uh, I don't think he's gonna get there, actually. So that might be a bit of good news or bad news, I guess, depending on how you look at it, because then that means they have two spots to fill. So his uh, vesting option is three hundred and forty innings pitched between twenty eighteen twenty nineteen. Uh-huh. He had three hundred or one hundred and fifty three last year. He's at one hundred and twenty five this year. Um, plus, I think he got through two innings today, so we might be at one twenty seven. So he's still um, sixty innings away. Okay, so I, that's that's good. Looks like they'll dodge a bullet there. Yeah. Okay, so you're looking at Brian Johnson now as probably your fourth starter and a free agent in there somewhere. Yeah. Maybe Tanner Houck? He's probably not a starter, though. Yeah, I don't think that he is. But they might be forced to give it a try. So, yeah. I'm actually, that would be terrible. I would not want to go into the season with Brian Johnson and Tanner Houck in the rotation. I wouldn't feel great about that. Um, who's out there on the pitching market? It's. I was just uh, Googling. Actually, I have it right here. Let's see. We have Steven Strasburg. That's not right. Does he have an opt-out? Player option. Player option, yeah. That's yeah, it. so he's going to probably take that. But he, uh, I don't know. What's the Steven Strasburg contract? So he has player options after opt-out available after 2020. And then he's got 25 million, 15, 15, and then 45 in 2023. So he would be opting out of a lot of money. Even though he's having an excellent year, I don't think that Steven Strasburg will opt out of that. Do you? I don't think so. Okay, so then you're looking at Jake Garrietta. He's terrible. He's not opting out. Uh, Cole Hamels is a possibility as an old man. Dallas Keuchel. Zach Wheeler. Um, stinks. Zach Wheeler, yep. Darvish is not opting out. Garrett Cole is the big one. Yep, so, he is going to be a whole buttload of money, though. So you're really looking at the big ones are Hyunjin Ryu, Garrett Cole, Wheeler. Maybe Rich Hill, but he'll be 40 years old. Yep. Bumgarner. Bumgarner, yep. Bumgarner's available. Do you think that they'll... Well, do you think they go after any of those guys? I think they give it a shot. I think uh, in the, the off-season hot stove, they'll be mentioned with all of them and then get none of them. And they'll yeah, probably I... end up with some of these guys at the bottom, like uh, Jake Orderizzi. I'm fine with them not making a huge splash. I don't think they need a top-of-the-rotation guy. I think they no, need, I don't like, think they a, do either. They just need someone guy. to pitch yeah, as a fourth or fifth guy to eat innings, but not... A Porcello type, Jake, shut your mouth. I want someone <laughs> who can pitch a little bit better than that and get innings. Yeah. What about um, what are we doing here? Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts on the team in the off season? Any other big question mark spots? I mean, they're the the big thing I think hinges on what they decide to do with Mookie Betts. Because if they bring him back, he's their right fielder. Rafi's going to be their third baseman. Xander's their shortstop. We think that JD's going to be the DH. 
Benny isn't going anywhere. He's the left fielder. Christian Vasquez is the catcher. Um, second base is the question mark, I guess. They could go out and get a free agent like a Scooter Jeanette type. There aren't a tremendous amount of free agents there. I'd be fine rolling with Chavis at second base for the entire season. Um, what do you think they'll ultimately do? Because second and first are really the only spots. Second, first, and a re-updating the bullpen and then potentially adding a starter. Those are the real the, – that's the real offseason checklist. Yeah, I mean, ideally, you mentioned it. I, like you, am a big Scooter fan. Have been for a while. So I'd like to see him and then Chavis at first would be my ideal lineup. Okay. So him and Chavis at first. I do like that a lot. I think that Chavis definitely gets one of those two spots. Yeah. Um, if they didn't get Jeanette, there are a few other interesting second base guys. Um, ben Zobrist, who is old, but he could be like a stopgap. Um, Brian Dozier, uh, coming off a little bit of a down season. Jonathan Scope. Um, there's a lot of guys out there, in fact, that could could come in and play second base. I think that's the easier position to fill. Much easier, yeah. Uh, Bullpen-wise, this is the big thing. Who's an absolute lock to come back to this bullpen for you? Oh, boy. Um, oh, we, we forgot about Eovaldi, dude. He's going to be in the starting rotation. Oh, I yeah, can't we believe did. we went through that whole discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Eovaldi's gonna be the so so Johnson would be the fifth starter. Yeah, well that's even good. Yeah, so they only yeah, need to get so, one start. Well, still, I don't really want Johnson in that role. I don't really care. So yeah, so potentially a back end guy still, but yeah. Um. So yeah, bullpen. Uh, Workman, I think, is a lock. I agree. Barnes. Yep. Um. Taylor seems to have played his way into it. Darwinson. Yep. I agree. Uh, and I'm s- still pretty much on the yeah. So I guess that wouldn't be a lock for Walden. Yeah, I think those are the guys that are locks to come back. Yeah, I like Walden too. I kind of think he's going to be an option, but I think that they need two back end types here. Oh, hundred percent. Yep. And that is not going to be the easiest thing to do on this free agent market. No. For next year, would have been a lot easier to do. I don't know. Last off season. Yeah. Try a deadline. So. For relievers right now, um, Chapman and Kenley Jansen are going to be uh, free agents in the offseason. A um, couple other good names out there. Steven Sushek uh, had an okay year, but he's on the IL right now. Uh, Vizcaino, Will Smith, a guy that they looked hard at in free agency, I mean, uh, in the trade market. Um, Batantis. Batantis, yep, if he can get back from his injury struggles. Uh, Craig Stammen, who's been really solid out in uh, San Diego. Um, Sean Doolittle might. He's got a club option. Yep, he's got an option, so that's a possibility. But there aren't a ton of guys, and none of those guys we named are particularly young. No. But I do think the only one, but he's got a lot of injury issues. Yeah, they're definitely going to go out there and and get one of these closer types, though. They have to. Yeah, they better. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of think Will Smith might be the guy. I hope so. I'd be very happy with that. Yeah, and he's not that old. Um, He's only 30. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. All right, well, we've spent a lot of time on this question. We sure did. We will move on. Um, Bar exam finisher, congratulations. 
uh, has our next question. He says, who is objectively the worst Red Sox player you still love? And this is all time. I came up with two names. Um, Me too. I came up with one hitter and one pitcher. Me too. Oh, Keaton, look at us. All right, why don't you go first? Who's your hitter? Uh, my hitter is Pokey Reese. I love Pokey Reese. Yeah, who was with the Red Sox for one season and had an OBP of, I think, 279. But that one season was 2004. And so I don't remember him ever being bad. I just remember him being good and getting the final out of the uh, 2004 ALCS. Uh, I love him. So, yeah, I like that. I have a picture of the 04 team hanging right above my desk as we record this right now. I think I have a Pokey for President bumper sticker that I got as like one of the, the handouts from uh, the, the dudes that usually like stand out on the corner of Fenway and just like hand out like the WEI signs. Sometimes they would hand out bumper stickers with them, and one of them was Pokey for President. I like that. Um, my guy is somebody who is not actually a bad player, but I think I remember him as having a Hall of Fame career. <laughs> he did not. Um, he's I swear also to God, you say Mark Bellhorn. No, not Mark Bellhorn. <laughs> um, but it is Bill Miller. Bill Miller uh, is oh, all right. probably my favorite player from that era. Um, Bill Miller in 03 won the batting title, batted 326. Um, enjoyed by far the best season of his career uh, that year. He was 32 years old and came in here, won a batting title, got some MVP votes, put up a 5.6 war season that year. Um, would never again put up a season past 3.2 war. And then his career was over at 35. Um, so he you know, had a bunch of seasons where he was right in that one point eight to like 1.3 war kind of ticking along average-ish career and then he came here and just exploded with boston um was on the 04 team as well uh i just love bill miller uh just amazing at bats grand slams from both sides of the plate yeah um, i was gonna say he's kind of like the the brock holt of that early squad right like he's the most random guy to have won a batting title hit a grand slam from both sides of the plate i think he had a walk-off grand slam against rivera in the 04 season, that was part of, um, I no, I think it was just a walk-off home run after the uh, um, A-Rod-Veritek fight. That was the turning point of that season. Yeah, I think that was him, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, So he's like the, yeah. the most random guy to be involved in like those huge moments, like Brock Holt hit a cycle in the postseason. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, he, I just enjoyed him. He was a really steady third baseman, too, and. Just, just the overall great clubhouse guy. Um, I'll go with my pitcher next. Um, and I don't think – this pitcher's career actually really resembles that of uh, Bill Miller so far. Um, and I think you can guess who it is, but it's Rick Porcello. <laughs> Rick Porcello is by far my favorite, um, a lot of times, bad pitcher. Um, obviously, he, he, like Bill Miller, had an amazing one season – uh, with the Red Sox, the, the Cy Young season, as we will always remember. Um, but he's another one that when you look at his war, that Cy Young season, he put up a 4.8 war. And he has a whole ton of seasons where he's under one war, a bunch around like two, three, one. Um, he He's not spectacular. We know this. Um, but I love him. I love 
Rick Porcello, and I will always remember him fondly. Yep, I am still baffled as to how he managed to win a Cy Young, but he's got it. Can't take it away from him. He won it. Frederick Alfred Porcello. God. I think I'm starting to hate him just as much as I hate Mark Bellhorn. It's getting pretty close. Why do you hate Bellhorn? Man, I don't know if I can, can get it all out. His one the biggest thing that annoyed me with him is how much he would uh just pound the mitt before throwing it to first and like just almost give up infield hits on routine grounders drove me nuts. And how he would go out there with like a vengeance to break his own strikeout records, which I know we don't really care about strikeouts nowadays, but it was just frustrating, and then, of course, he hits the walk-off home run in the game one of the World Series, and everybody loves him, but I just, I couldn't stand him. I just hated him so much. Well, who's your guy? Who's your pitcher? My pitcher is probably the most obscure jersey I've ever owned, um, Hideki Okajima. Oh, I loved Oki. Yeah. But he was good. Well, he had two really good seasons in uh, 2007-2008, and then the wheels fell off and it got real bad. He did real get quick. bad. It got <laughs> real ugly. So, um, kind of like Rick, where he was good for a bit, and then not so great. Hideki Okajima, he was my man. I thought like him to Koji had a real shot in 2013, and then I think they... I think they just like straight up DFA'd him before the 2013 season, dumped him. But I always believed. Yeah, Oki was Oki was awesome. Loved Oki. Yeah, great call. All right, his so the, I think probably the two most obscure jerseys I've ever owned were I had a, a Deki Okajima one and a Kosuke Fukudome one for the Cubs. Well, you had to have a Fukudome. It's the funniest jersey ever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, Mike Teague has our last question, um, and he says, I know that Kashner wasn't going to be a savior of the team, but I understood the trade and intangible benefits he was bringing as the fifth starter. Uh, what changed? Same division, but he looks like a shell of himself of what he was in the first half of the year. He's not even an innings eater anymore. Um, I actually looked up some details about his performance and his pitch selection, in fact. Oh, and his pitch selection has uh, gotten significantly different than it was when he was succeeding in Baltimore. Um, so in Baltimore, he was throwing his changeup, which is his best pitch, um, around 21% of the time for the first two months of the season, 25% of the time for May, and 30.1% of the time um, after that. With the Red Sox, it's been 33.4 and 35.7, so he's throwing that pitch more. He's also throwing his slider more than he was when he was with Baltimore. Um, He's throwing his curve a little bit less, and he's throwing his four-seam fastball a little bit less. Um, And that has not been great for him. Um, In fact, his changeup has gone from being a pitch where no one was sitting it uh, he had a 138 batting average against that pitch in um, April, 200 in May, and 162 in June. And in the months with the Red Sox in July and now August, it was 308 against that pitch 
and uh, his four seam is also getting teed up on 333 in July and 385 in August. Um, he's getting crushed on the change in four seam now. And he's throwing them both. He's throwing the change more. Yeah, that. So he's just not mixing his pitches enough. Maybe. I don't know. It's possible that the book is just out on him now. Um, I'm going to take a quick look at how this season compares to last in terms of usage. So let's see. Usages over the course of this year has changed up 27%, four seam 45. Let's see. Last year it was only 13% change usage and 24% four seam with a heavy reliance on the sinker. Um, so potentially got rid of his sinker this season. Yeah, so he got rid of the sinker and he's thrown the change a ton more. That was the big story about his success this year. But yeah. now maybe that people know that it's coming, this adjustment might have come from the league in the second half, regardless of what he if he was still there or if he came here. That's kind of my thought, is that maybe the book's just out. Yeah, so when did the, the trade happen? Like mid-June, right? Yeah, li- mid to late June, yeah. So I'm looking at the monthly breakdown, and <clears throat> he was up to over 30% with his changeup um, coming into June. And then coming into July, it looks like it's, it was up to 34%. Right. So, yeah, at the time of the trade, that that change had already kind of started to happen where he was throwing. And then there was a massive drop uh, from June to July on his four-seamer where it went from 53% to 43%. It was like a 10% drop in the four-seamer. So between the trade, there was a – the changeup ticked up a little bit more, but then there was the massive massive drop in the four-seamer. So, yeah, I mean, if people are sitting on your changeup and you're throwing it more, that's not going to help. No. Not at all. All right. Well, that does it for our show. We hope you did enjoy the show. And if you did, please go on, rate and review us. Give us a five-star review. We appreciate that. And most importantly, subscribe to the show so we can come to your phone, device, whatever. Uh, listen to us on your car rides. Listen to us in the shower. Um, do whatever you you do. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find Keaton on Twitter at the Spoken Keats. You can find me on Twitter at DevJake. And you can find the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. We do appreciate you tuning in. We hope you have a lovely weekend, and we'll be back with you next week. 